So I have a fantastic guest for you all today. I'm joined now by Paris Marx. He is a writer for many publications, including Jacobin, Passage, uh, CBC, and NBC, and also is the host of a new podcast called Tech Won't Save Us. Paris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, David. No problem. So you have you have a great piece in Canadian Dimension titled "We Need a Robust CBC Now More Than Ever." Um, this is a discussion that I've seen discussed a lot, but the way you broke it down here, I thought was fantastic. So before we even get into what you think are the issues with the CBC and Canadian media in general, give sort of an overview of what the CBC is. Certainly. So the CBC is Canada's public broadcaster. It's kind of like our version of the BBC, but with a lot less funding and with advertising. So <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, provides um, news and like a counterpoint to the private media that's out there. Um, and obviously it also provides a lot of um, Canadian like TV, uh, like I think some made for TV kind of movies as well. Yes. Um, but like it, it's a significant uh, cultural and like media institution in Canada that does provide a, a counterweight to like our, our major um private networks like CTV, uh, Global, um, you know, and a number of other ones that exist. But but one of the key things about like to know about the CBC is that it's still it's not completely publicly funded. It still does rely on some private ad revenue. Um, so like if you're watching news, if you're watching CBC TV, there will be ad breaks on like what you would get on, say, the BBC. Um, so, yeah, it does have that kind of yeah. issue. So this, um, I mean, this idea of a public broadcaster is sort of alien to Americans. I have a largely American audience, but it's important to, for people to understand, especially Americans, that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that our public broadcaster is simply at the whims of whoever's in control of, of, of government. Uh, and actually, in many cases, um, it almost goes further in a, in a business or neoliberal sense when it comes to how they cover uh, these various issues. But... You broke it down so well in your piece, so I, I'm going to go over your various subheadings here, and we're kind of going to just yeah. discuss the various aspects uh, of what you um, uh, lay out here. So at first, uh, you go into the ads that create bad incentives. So as you were discussing, CBC still shows ads. Discuss um, how or the, the ads, uh, the way ads impact the coverage uh, on CBC and how you see this uh, play into, um, into news coverage. Sure. So it's still like a significant portion of or at least like a not insignificant portion of the CBC's budget that comes from ads. Um, and there has been discussion in recent years as to whether we should take ads off of the CBC altogether. And that is still an ongoing conversation. It's not something that the government has actually acted on, um, even though there are recommendations for that to happen in the most recent, um, I can't remember the name of the report now, but there was a new report put out last month or the month before kind of on how the media regulation should change in Canada. And one of the suggestions was that uh, funding be increased for the CBC so that it can remove ads. So it's an ongoing conversation. But obviously the effect of advertising on the CBC has been to make it so that it does have to still be concerned with what private advertisers would want to see on the network. So it's not completely... I guess, committed to its kind of public mandate. 
and the mandate that's set for it by the government. Um, and, you know, over a number of years, that has resulted in a shift in the news coverage toward more business oriented news and kind of news that would, um, I guess, kind of serve the needs of capital over, say, what the general public would actually be best served by. Um, but it has also affected like the kind of TV programs that the CBC commissions, um, because obviously it wants to reach the widest audience that it possibly can. So that has meant an investment in reality television. Um, it has meant an investment in kind of programs that seem like ripoffs of American television shows, but with a so- sort of Canadian spin that it could potentially kind of sell back to the United States and kind of make some um, further revenue off of in that way. Yeah. And the way it's, I mean, on paper, it sounds like a way for them to generate more revenue to maybe keep the news aspect uh, intact. But in reality, as you discuss in your piece, there's actually been layoffs or at least attempts uh, during this crisis right now, an attempt to lay off um, people working in, in local news. So discuss just a, a little bit about how uh, local news has been impacted um, or just in general, not even just the CBC, but in general, how, how local news uh, has been impacted um, over the, the past several years. Certainly. So, you know, obviously Canada is a really large country. Uh, it's spread, you know, over the second largest kind of uh, land area of any country in the world. And we have a relatively small population to kind of be spread among that landmass. Um, so sometimes the the kind of amount of people who might be viewing news is smaller. So the, the audience that you could potentially sell ads to is smaller. Um, there's been some indication that the CBC for many years has kind of been shifting away from a focus on local news. Um, and in response to coronavirus, COVID-19, um, what we saw was the initial response of CBC was to completely shut down its local news broadcasts, which is kind of counter, I would say, to the public mandate, but also to like what is in the public good, because obviously this is a moment where people really need to know what is happening in their communities and the kind of specific directives that are coming from their provincial and local governments. Um, And to cut off local news broadcasting at such an essential time seems really like the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And and obviously the larger Canadian media landscape has been affected, I would say over the past decade, maybe longer. Um, Like there have been successive cuts, you know, your American viewers would, know that well from seeing what's happening in the United States as well and has happened over a longer period of time with the cuts that have happened down there. But we've seen a very similar thing up here in Canada. But obviously, because of our smaller population, our media ecosystem was smaller to begin with. Um, And so that has resulted in a lot of communities being left with only one or no um, like newspaper at all, um, or say a newspaper where most of what is in it actually comes from this larger national conglomerate that just kind of fills it with, you know, stories that it's printing in all these newspapers across the country, but it doesn't actually provide very much local coverage. So what we really need right now is an investment in local news and for um, an expansion in local news coverage, because it's clear that the private market cannot provide that under an ad funded model. Um, and, And obviously that is a role that the CBC could play. But it seems like it's a role that at least management in the corporation 
is not as interested in having it play. Yeah, absolutely. And when we discuss the uh, the role of, of the private market uh, at large, it also, I mean, this goes into your next point here in your piece, discussing how um, uh, the right infiltrates the media. And there is this misinformation, this misconception that the CBC has this liberal or left-wing bias, um, which I find to be hilarious. <laughs> and I mean, you as a socialist, you understand that the CBC is, is not left-wing or, or even liberal uh, in their bias. Um, how would you describe uh, how the uh, or the, the impact that that the right has on on the media? Yeah, so I think there's kind of a misunderstanding um, about kind of the biases that exist within media. Um, you know, I, obviously, American viewers will will know well that there's this perception that mainstream news in general, even at private broadcasters, has this liberal bias, right? Because the people who kind of make up uh, the journalist, I don't know, I don't want to say journalist class, but like, you know, the group mm -hmm. of people who are journalists yeah. um, are traditionally, you know, better educated. Um, and often that is kind of associated with, um, you know, more liberal views. They're obviously more urban than rural, like all these sorts of things that are generally associated with a more um, kind of liberal individual. Um are the, are the types of people who make up news organizations. But over the past several decades, we've also seen this shift where it's more difficult for, say, working class people to get into journalism and into news organizations. Um, there's, a, there's a real bias toward people who are able to easily go to post-secondary, um, who are able to take internships that might not pay very much money if they pay anything at all uh, in really large, expensive cities, right? So mm -hmm. it really limits the type of person who can get into journalism to begin with and the types of people who we often see at these major um, national or even international news organizations uh, are centered in these really large cities where you kind of need to build up a network and get to know people in order to kind of like climb the ranks and actually get into that position. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so obviously that creates a barrier and it makes it so that certain views are overrepresented in media, but that does not mean necessarily that the media has a bias toward left wing or liberal politics. Right. Um, and so what we sort of see, and, and obviously this is not necessarily a, a, an observation that just I have made, like I, I draw from a number of sources in the piece. Um, but say in the United States, Carlos Maza has observed how, because Fox News exists, this really right wing news organization, it kind of puts these right wing views into a more mainstream conversation. And then the kind of CNNs and MSNBCs grab onto that and covered as well because they figured this is like an issue that we need to talk about because Fox is talking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no kind of left wing alternative to Fox news, um, to kind of provide that counterweight and to kind of bring up stories from a left wing perspective that then these major news organizations draw from as well and say, Oh, we need to cover this, this topic. Right. So yeah. it leads to the framings that they, um, focus on to be more, um, right wing and and to kind of be set by Fox News before they take them on. And, and we see something similar in the United Kingdom where 
the right wing Murdoch owned press. Murdoch obviously owns Fox News as well, um, kind of sets the agenda that then the broadcast news kind of goes off of and and takes their framings and and the issues that they think are important from. Right. And that's very noticeable in the BBC. And Mm -hmm. so when we then look at Canada, we can see that Canada is very influenced by what goes on in the United States and what happens at broadcasters in the United States. So they look to those as kind of like what's serious and then make changes to maybe not even like um, on purpose, but obviously they see what's going on there and they kind of adopt the same sort of practices, the same sort of views, the same sort of framings. So we see things like balanced budgets being um, centered and climate change being treated as this kind of like political fight rather than the focus on the science and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, And so to kind of get back to the core of your question, what we see is not so much, I would say a liberal or a left wing bias, but more of a bias toward elite institutions. Right. Mm -hmm. And the people who make up those institutions. So when you watch a news broadcast on the CBC, like a national news broadcast, if you watch a news broadcast on CNN, if you watch a news broadcast on the BBC, you'll notice that the people who are on those broadcasts are journalists and often highly like the highly paid group of journalists, the ones that really have this national profile. Um, You'll see politicians, ministers, um, the prime minister, president maybe like at special times of the year but there's this focus on making sure you're talking to these elite individuals you see Mm -hmm. lobbyists um business leaders totally business leaders ceos all of that so it's all of these people who are in powerful positions and the journalists want to ensure that they have access to these people and they also kind of exist in the same circles as these people right Mm -hmm. um and and obviously that that leads to kind of um kind of these views of the world and these general ideas kind of being more common among these this group of people so instead of instead of there being a liberal bias it's more of this elite bias Mm -hmm. and depending on the country that plays out in different ways right so in the bbc we see that the same sort of like what we're seeing now with COVID-19 and there's this long-standing kind of issue with how the BBC treats the Conservative Party. Um, but now the same sort of news that a few weeks ago they were saying indicated like this, there was this massive disaster in Italy, like the same sort of death figures and stuff um, shows that the government in the UK is actually doing a good job, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's really weird. And like obviously CNN kind of launders these really right-wing framings all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of does the work of the Republican Party and the Democratic establishment. And yeah. in the CBC, like, I think it's a little bit different because the Liberal Party has been in power so much in Canada. Um, but like they, they don't really challenge any political party to the degree that you might want or expect. Right. Yeah. Because there is this kind of common view of the world and how the world should work. It's really this total lack of a class analysis where the elites aren't going to hold other elites to question. They're not going to really like even when it comes to um, the, the coverage right now of how the Trudeau government is responding to, to COVID-19. Yeah. There is very few questions. I mean, they're getting a little better now, but 
for a while, very few questions about why isn't there a universal basic income here? Like very few, like they are almost incapable of showcasing the, I mean, just in, in one case, the, the impact that the NDP have had on the liberal uh, policy platform during this crisis, where the NDP were calling for a $2,000 a month UBI. And right now, if you look at polling from Canadians on how they feel about each party, Canadians right now are loving the liberals. And but it, they wouldn't feel the same way if the liberals weren't pushed to the left by the NDP and, and challenging them in that way. And CBC doesn't rarely ever frames the discussion in that way. And again, as you were saying, they'll give if they do ever mention anything about that or, or mention any sort of class analysis, they'll always counteract it with the business perspective as it's on equal footing when it's not, when yeah. very few people are part of the elite class and the vast majority of the country is everybody else. So there really is yeah. this, um, there's just almost a, this de desire to attach the idea of liberal or left wing to elites. And I think that's been almost a, a brilliant political move by the right for a while where they Certainly. have, yep. they've been able to sort of tri act like the left is the elite. And it's no, we, we are standing up for workers. I mean, that really is what it is. We have a class analysis standing up for the average person, whereas we are calling out the elites, regardless of party, regardless of of what um, label you have on yourself, um, the left, by and large, we are fighting for workers over the elite, yeah. and I think that's a message that needs to be uh, pushed a, a little a little further. And you were getting in, already into um, the next aspect of this, which was the elite perspectives that don't serve the public. Uh, this is, I mean, another piece that I'm not sure if you touched on, but the lack of labor reporters. I mean, this is something where. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like why there are a lack of labor reporters right now in Canadian media? Yeah. So like I would say there are a whole lot of reasons for that, right? <laughs> um, from the decline of unions to the kind of shift in how the news is reported and how current affairs is reported to focus on um, like financial markets, mergers and acquisitions, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like the, the source that I really draw on for that argument is Tom Mill's book, uh, The BBC, The Myth of a Public Service, I believe it's called. Um, and he sort of describes how in the BBC um, in the 70s and, and even into the early 80s, a lot of the kind of reporting around work and business even was focused on labor and on strikes and on worker struggles. And the reporters who did that work had to have really close connections to union leaders, to union members, things like that, to be able to understand their perspective and what was happening. And obviously, the news that was reported as a result really focused on those things, right? But then when Margaret Thatcher came to power, um, I believe it was in the early 80s um, or like or late 70s or something like that. Um, but anyway, when... Thatcher comes to power, she starts to institute this neoliberal program that obviously is then instituted in the United States by Reagan, like a couple of years later or mm -hmm. something. Um, and as part of that, there is this greater focus on like financialization, on banks, on business. Um, but one of Margaret, one of Thatcher's first um, actions is to break the unions, right? And the mining unions in particular. Um, and so that not only decimates the power of the unions, but then in the BBC, uh, because 
like the the leadership of the BBC is appointed by the government. Um, they install like a neoliberal um, Thatcherite to head up the BBC and then to transform the way that news is reported. So over the course of a number of years, um, those labor reporters are basically fired. Um, like not immediately, they're slow, their numbers are slowly reduced, but eventually like they're all fired and they are replaced by new journalists whose focus is, um, you know, mergers and acquisitions, what's going on in the financial markets, um, what stocks are doing, uh, focus on interviewing CEOs um, and business leaders, and also tailoring programs to kind of reflect what those sorts of people would want to hear in the news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I didn't get into this so much in the piece, but obviously as the neoliberal reforms are put into place, um, Mills explains that more and more people start to own stocks, right? And so mm-hmm. there's this kind of focus, like average people then become a bit more interested in the stock market as well, mm-hmm. even though like this focus on the stock market benefits the richest people in society. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. even though your regular working class person might own a few stocks or might have some stocks in like a pension fund or whatever, most of the stocks are still owned by really rich people, right? Yeah. Um, and so there is also this kind of like consumerist piece in there as well, which we definitely see in the media today. Like it's mm-hmm. not all about what is what CEOs want to hear. It's also what these kind of like um, smaller kind of stock owners are owning. And you probably see that a little bit like with CNBC and Jim Cramer and that sort of stuff. Like. Yeah. He's not he's not completely like tailoring his program to CEOs, right? He's also tailoring it to these like, you know, more middle class, upper middle class kind of people who own some stocks as well, right? But yeah. it kind of launders these perspectives into the public discourse and makes a lot of people think that their interests then align with the interests of much more wealthier people, yeah. CEOs, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So so over the course of several decades then there's this shift in the way that business coverage works to go from a focus on labor um, strikes, labor action, stuff like that, to really um, a focus on business mergers, acquisitions, and stock markets in particular that really ignores labor pretty much altogether, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think there are only one, two, three labor reporters in Canada, like the whole it's country amazing. now. Um, which is, which is really shocking, right? Um, I I don't know what the state of that is in the United States, but again, like all you need to do is turn on CNN, turn on CBC, turn on any of these, um, media companies, watch their news channels. And you'll see that the focus is on political coverage and the focus is on business coverage and business coverage means what's happening in financial markets, right? Because we live in this incredibly financialized economy and so obviously the focus is what's going on with the banks is the line going up or is the line going down (laughs) like right (laughs) yeah it truly it it truly is amazing how much uh how much business interests have taken over the media without people even really realizing it i mean this is really the the bigger issue is that because people are just so uh they have busy lives right people go to work they come home they have stuff to do they put on the news most people don't uh, don't really clue into the fact that 
why are we talking so much about business interests? Like, why are we so focused on financial markets when we should also, at the very least, I mean, if you want to say 50-50, fine, but I say labor is a lot more important. But totally. at, the, at the very least, like, also represent the interests of labor, also represent the interests of workers at large. Like, it, it really, we have been totally um, disconnected, I think, as a society from realizing that. And it's because... I mean, we have busy lives and the media that is supposed to do its job, supposed to be standing up for the average person, has not been doing that for quite some time now. And I think you laid out uh, what happened in the 80s as sort of the, the, the genesis uh, of where we are now with that. Um, totally. That leads us to the last uh, point here that you make, the uh, a democratic public broadcaster. So basically, overall, how do you see, uh, what would the CBC need to do really to improve? Yeah, so... At its core, like I definitely support the notion that we need to get ads off the CBC. Like that is kind of step one, right? But that doesn't change the structural issues with the CBC. Um, obviously, I think its funding needs to be increased as well. If you look at the comparison of like how much CBC gets per capita in relation to what other countries give their public broadcasters per capita, um, it's much lower in Canada, right? So CBC does need an increase to its funding, um, and then hopefully. We would at least break kind of the influence of ads and the need to respond to what advertisers want. But even beyond that, that's not going to fix this kind of focus on elite institutions and elite individuals, right? Um, so there does need to be a broader cultural shift, and that does need to ensure that we get more people who actually have a working class background and actually have these focuses into the public broadcaster. Um, there needs to be a greater focus on local news because that's something that we desperately need more of in Canada um, and that we are really lacking. And I think after COVID-19, because we've already seen just as we're as your American viewers will have seen in Canada, we're also seeing a whole load of layoffs and papers kind of like temporarily shutting down um, at hopefully temporarily at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a serious problem. But even beyond that, I think we also need to think about what the future of public broadcasting could be. Um, and so I cite this uh, report by Dan Hind, again from the UK, um, about how we can kind of transform public broadcasting for the 21st century and to kind of have this digital focus. Um, and the really key piece of that is to ensure greater public accountability, but also greater democratic processes within the public broadcaster. So instead of having the public broadcaster controlled by the government, um, even though there are kind of like checks and balances and you know, it's not like the government is controlling everything that goes on in the CBC or the BBC or whatever, right? Um, but to ensure that, that those ties are increasingly broken and that the decisions about what happens at the public broadcaster are more democratic and by and are actually being made by the public that is served by the broadcaster, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of by the government that they elect. Um, and part of that also means thinking about how the public broadcaster can serve us in a digital age um, and kind of pushing back against the platform monopolies of Google, Facebook, and all of these to develop a public alternative. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, there are a lot of big ideas in in Hin's report, but like, a future of the CBC should 
be accountable to the public should work with other public institutions like museums, like libraries, like universities to have a more educational role. Um, but it could also create a public platform in Canada. Um, and, you know, other public broadcasters could do that around the world um, to actually create a space for people to come together where the interactions that take place are not focused on generating profits for advertisers, mm -hmm. um, increasing engagement, increasing clicks, um, but is actually focused on education, on positive um, interactions, on creating community, like all of these really positive things that we don't necessarily get from the tech giants and, and platform monopolies that we have today. Absolutely. Well, it's a fantastic piece. Uh, again, in Canadian dimension, we need a robust CBC now more than ever. Um, before we go, plug your new podcast, uh, Tech Won't Save Us. What's uh, what's this about? Yeah, so new podcast, Tech Won't Save Us. It's kind of critiquing this notion that you often get out of Silicon Valley, that tech can kind of solve our all of our problems, right? Mm -hmm. That all we need to the issues, the social problems, the economic problems that we face today is another tech solution, right? All we need is autonomous vehicles or electric cars to solve climate change and traffic congestion and all this stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, not transit, right? Mm -hmm. So so it's kind of like digging into these kind of issues and, and going beyond tech to imagine how we can make the world a better place, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in the first few episodes, I talked to Wendy Liu, who is the author of Abolish Silicon Valley, who has these really big ideas about how we could change tech culture um, to make it serve the public good instead of private profit. And James Wilt, uh, who wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Cars to kind of challenge this uh, notion that all we need is some tech improvements on cars to improve transportation, mm -hmm. when what we really need is better transit systems and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out. I'll link to uh, your podcast and the article below the video. Thanks again, Paris, for, uh, for joining me. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you.